I think you're really going to like this episode of STEM, Insider Tips for Greenhouse Pros. I'm Bill Calkins, and in this episode, I'm joined for the third time by Mason Day, co-founder of Grow It Mobile. Grow It is a digital plant community that helps users connect with other local plant people. With almost a million users across North America, it's quickly become the place for social plant conversation. The Grow It team recently released a very in-depth houseplant report that captured tons of information and data to better understand the houseplant trend that's been all the talk lately. We've discussed this trend on STEM in the past and referenced many articles from mass media that characterize the way people, mainly millennials, are seeking out indoor plants with a fervor not seen in decades. We've speculated about the reasons behind the trend and expressed excitement about the uptick in sales many growers and retailers have experienced. But we haven't really seen much data and certainly haven't explored the topic in depth. Until now. In this episode, Mason shares top findings from the Grow It Houseplant Report, from confusion around light requirements and how to apply supplemental lighting, to an emerging subtrend related to large plants and unique foliage patterns. We spend some time discussing the pots indoor plants are sold in, as well as a term new to both Mason and me, double pots. With each of these findings, Mason is quick to offer suggestions from a plantsman's point of view, as well as tips for growers and retailers looking to capitalize on the wants and needs of real consumers. Some of the other topics we touch on include pricing, how not to leave money on the table via across-the-board pricing, and a newly identified shopper wish list for more indoor trees and shrubs. Would you have guessed people want indoor weeping willows? Yeah, me neither, but they do. We wrap things up by discussing big plans for the Grow It Mobile community in 2020 and beyond. When I say big things, I mean big things for growers, retailers, and other hort professionals. Armed with tons of data, expect more detailed reports and information from Grow It in the very near future. Mason's a terrific guest and brimming with ideas, all couched in a holistic understanding of the industry. As I always say, Grow It isn't a tech company trying to plug into horticulture. It's a hort company bringing cutting-edge technology and predictive analytics to the industry. You're going to want to listen to all the way to the end of this interview because it's truly an action-oriented conversation. But first, Connect Four, where we take a look at four distinct points leading to support one key topic. This time, we're tackling year-end reviews for small business owners and managers. This time on Connect4, we're going to talk about questions to address in an end-of-year performance review. I took four from an article called Five Questions to Address in an End-of-the-Year Performance Review by Stephanie Davis with SurePayroll.com, a paychecks company. She says, when you're a small business owner with employees, year-end performance reviews might seem like a necessary evil, and even though these reviews can be awkward, they tend to be positive conversations, so having some structure around them will go a long way. First question to ask, what were your top accomplishments this year? Let employees showcase their largest accomplishments, and through this, the author explains, you're going to learn what inspires them and what gives them pride, helping you understand their specific motivations. Follow this up by telling your employees what you think they've done well and let them know that you appreciate all the work they do. Second, what are your goals for next year? This question can lead to a variety of responses and could be the time to talk about what your employee wants to achieve in the following year, allowing you to give suggestions on how they can move toward these goals. Often, this question can easily lead to a discussion about areas where your employee can grow and improve. 
such as better time management or maybe improve customer service. Third, what skills do you have that you think we can use more effectively? The author reminds us that employees are great assets and they might have skills that could be extremely useful to your small business, skills that you're entirely unaware of. Developing a plan for growth in these areas encourages team members to take greater ownership of the work that they do and maybe even improve processes you didn't even know needed improvement, benefiting both parties. The final chip in our game of year-end performance review Connect 4 is, what can I do to make your job more enjoyable? Employee engagement is key to business success, according to the author. When employees are engaged with their work, it's going to lead to positive results for your small business. What motivates your employees and leads them to being engaged is going to vary between each person. So this is a great time to ask them what they think will bring out the best in themselves. The article wraps up by reminding owners and managers that, hi- that conducting annual performance reviews can be a little daunting for all involved, but a little planning goes a long way. While you have questions you plan to ask, you should also prepare for the questions your employee might ask, such as questions related to a raise, promotion, or role change. Overall, while this is a time for you to review your employees, make sure that they have the opportunity to share their feelings and give any input. Now, let's get ready to dive headfirst into houseplants with Mason Day, co-founder of Grow It Mobile. Mason Day is the co-founder and chief data whisperer of Grow It. His ambition is to spread a passion for plants to consumers around the globe, while supplying the industry with the information it needs to remain relevant to modern-day customers. Mason wasn't born in a greenhouse, but he might have learned to walk in one. And his first word wasn't geranium, but only because he liked petunias better. Rowit Mobile just released a super in-depth houseplant report. It's 16 pages of findings that give amazing insights into what we currently call a trend, but what might honestly be a movement. You can find it all over social media, but the best place to download the report in PDF form is at growitmobile.com slash houseplantreport. I encourage you to check it out. Even if you want to hit pause and read through it now, that is okay with us. Because not only is the data detailed, but the Grow It team included suggestions in this report based on their unique understanding of the hort industry. So I know Mason, who's a returning podcast guest for the third time, is armed with information, suggestions, and insights to help us all leverage the houseplant movement into big sales. This is sure going to be a fun episode. Mason, welcome back to STEM. Woo, it's good to be back, Bill. So yeah, like I said, this is your third time back. We've been talking a lot about what Grow It does um, to learn about uh, consumers um, who are buying and, and using plants in all sorts of different ways. And I know that uh, you guys have a huge community to draw from and all sorts of uh, information and intel that, you, that you've gained. And uh, the latest uh, report that I want to dig into this episode is the houseplant report. But before we get started on that, what's Grow It been up to lately? Well, things have sure been busy uh, this past year. We've really zeroed in on, you know, focusing on 
what what are consumers looking at and interested in? Because now we're starting to take a look at, you know, we we've been ahead of the curve on trends the last few years in judging which plants are going to take off and which kind of you know sub trends maybe they aren't particular to a given plant. Uh, are going to be next. And so, you know, we feel confident in our ability, what we've done so far internally to now it's like, okay, how do we ratchet this up a notch and start helping the industry at a larger scale? And so this summer we have, uh, we have really dove into those data piles, uh, working with all sorts of different plant types, plant trends. And so, yeah, so we've, uh, we just kind of been living in the in the data cave, but also uh, I will say that we have some really cool features coming this spring for Grow It for the consumer side, um, because in order for us to get all that data to mine through, we have to keep consumers engaged and make sure that we're able to help connect them to other people. And um, you know, I think this will be the our biggest development year on that front in the last three years, actually. So uh, exciting times at Grow It. That's awesome. And collecting data is important, um, but I think even more important is what you do with that data. And I like um, when you said you're going to take it up a notch to really start drilling into the data to help the industry, because I know that from day one, that's always been one of your goals as a company. And uh, it's fun to see some of this data and uh, industry help coming to fruition. So what's been, I guess, what, what's inspired you and the Grow It team when you guys watch the consumer conversation around plants and flowers these days? I think what inspires me uh, is finding out things that I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I'm in, I guess, even though I'm only 28, I feel like I'm an industry veteran, uh, but I grew up in the industry and I feel like, you know, I have my preconceptions on what people think about plants or the way that they talk about plants. And uh, I actually, I was, I live here in uh, St. Charles, Illinois, and I drove by Midwest ground covers. And I was pointing out to my fiance, I said, hey, oh, you know, they're in our industry as well. And she was like, do they sell tarps? And I was like, well, ground cover uh, doesn't just mean a tarp. You know, that that's also a term for a plant. She goes, no, it's not. And so, you know, to hear her say that, you know, I realized like, OK, I got to step out of my industry hat and more into the consumer realm. And so just to hear consumers talk about, oh, I'm really interested in this, this plant because it does this, or maybe I need to watch out for this, you know, that's coming out of my plants and the way that they describe diseases, pests, uh, or problems that they're having is totally different than how we necessarily think of it. And, um, I don't know, just for example, like in the houseplant report, the, uh, one of the things that we had come up was that we actually saw that people were interested in finding plants that were bug free. And I don't know, I, I, I don't necessarily think that consumers are out there looking at all of these plants and wondering, oh, are there any bugs on them from a houseplant perspective? Um, but apparently they are. And, you know, that's something where how do we then take that information and pass it forward to the industry to say, hey, listen, you know, it actually is really important that your your plants are bug free at retail because consumers are noticing that and they know that it maybe is a problem in other places. So it's things like that that, you know, they it's that, that itch that you can't scratch and you're like trying to figure out what are people interested in. 
It's got to be interesting to insert yourself into the conversation um, between consumers and really understand that the the language, because we certainly have our internal industry jargon that, as you made that ground cover comment, really makes no sense to anybody at all except us. And sometimes we do speak that language to our customers, and they probably just glaze over at that point. So um, that that's really cool. And I, I agree. It's finding out what you don't know that really creates that excitement and i'll be honest i was reading through the houseplant report and there were a lot of things that i didn't even know and and that's really one of the reasons i wanted to uh, dig into it with you so let's look at houseplants because you mentioned your age and you're you're a millennial um kind of square in the millennial range so i guess from your perspective why is this a trend and i'm going to leave this wide open because i'm i'm frankly pretty interested in your answer so, all right. So it goes back further than houseplants. You know, as an industry, I think we were really, and we're looking at it as a trend. Uh, we were guilty probably about oh, anywhere from 10 to seven years ago that, oh no, what are we going to do? Millennials aren't interested in plants. And I think we, we looked past the fact that as human beings, we all have an innate interest in plants. No one sits there and goes, I don't like plants. Some people think they can't grow them, but we were worried about the wrong thing. Um, and it's just a matter of looking at where do millennials live. And you know, a lot of them live in urban apartments. They're renters. Uh, they're not planting the beds and even patios that you know we're used to as an industry. And so I, you know, they want to participate in the way that they can, and that way is houseplants. I mean, they can put. 15 to 30 houseplants in an apartment and sure it's going to be really green but it's going to be like you know that that adds a definition to their life that this living piece of it and we all crave that and so it's just a reflection of you know where they're living you know could that change in the future i imagine it will uh we have yet to see if you know do they do these millennials flock to the suburbs um but you know when and if they do, I think maybe those trends will shift. But right now, this houseplant trend isn't showing any signs of stopping. And I think even as you look past millennials, it, it's really more of a people in cities and apartments have found that they can get really great houseplants and they actually have the knowledge and ability to take care of them. And the supply is now starting to meet that demand. And so boom, you know, when that happens, you have this explosion. Plus the economy has been relatively good the last couple of years, which uh, that discretionary spending, those dollars that people are willing to kind of risk on something that is more of a decor item uh, that ticks up a little bit. I remember those conversations seven to 10 years ago. And you're right that, you know, the only time you ever brought up where millennials lived was, you know, oh, well, they're, you know, they're, they're never going to buy houses. So they're never going to buy a lot of plants. And then the discussion kind of ended there. And there was a lot of doom and gloom instead of at that point, really kind of pivoting your business to figure out how you can fill the spaces that they are currently living in. I remember talking about vegetable gardening at that time. Well, it's pretty hard to grow a tomato garden in your kitchen. I mean, you can grow some snack peppers and maybe a small tomato plant. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about artificial lighting today and how you might be able to grow some food crops using that. But at the time, I do remember there was a lot of doom and gloom. So I'm glad that we've moved past that. And now we are seeing the numbers and the, and the trend or movement toward house plants and indoor plants and as I think that you guys learned in the report, just from reading through it, there are a lot more opportunities than just selling them a small house plant to go, you know, 
by the side of their couch. So let's jump into that latest report. Can you tell me a little bit about what inspired it and, and how it came about? Yeah, uh, as a, I guess, an entrepreneur, I'm a firm believer that there is a lot of serendipity at play. And while I will tell you that, you know, data is what drives us forward and kind of keeps us thinking on our toes, we were interested in taking a look at houseplants as a general trend uh, and, you know, analyzing what's plants, what's the conversation that we're seeing. But actually, if you take a look at the report, a lot of this report comes based off of some questions that we actually physically asked consumers. Um, and that that's where the serendipity takes takes course because really it was a matter of somebody on the team saying, hey, did you know that this national indoor house plant or the national indoor plant week is a thing? And I was like, yeah, you know, I've heard of it. And they were like, well, we should totally give away a plant a day in honor of it. And I said, yes, we should, but we should ask people questions about indoor plants while we're doing it. And so we were able to get over 10,000 responses that we then said, all right, let's, let's start filing these. And so we poured over the information and then, you know, adjusted for each one of these questions, you know, what was the, what was the key features? Because even though, uh, you know, some of it, we broke out into like 10 categories, we're talking about 1500 responses on a given question that maybe had each response was like a paragraph long. So it's digging through that and finding what that important information is. But yeah, it's a little bit of being prepared. You know, we're always looking for ways to collect information, but at the same time, you know, you never know when that aha moment is going to strike and that luckily happened for us. And I like in the report how you guys talk everything about sort of general info to commonly asked questions, commonly asked challenges, um, where, you know, where, the, where they keep these plants, where they put these plants and really um, go into a lot of detail. I know that you guys uh, brought up succulents in that um, in that report, which I think is another interesting category that, that folks have, have probably had a little bit of success with lately. So I guess looking over the, the, the report in a broad sense, if you had to boil it down to your top three findings, what would they be? Yeah, I think my top three findings, uh, and this is not in any order, but um, there is definitely conversation around artificial lighting and getting people have, you know, maybe these apartments have a couple windows, but once they get a couple plants that fill up this window spot, you know, they want to work plants into the other spots in their apartment. So then they either need really, really low light plants or more lights. Um, then the next one is pot. There are some weird and interesting things that are in potting trends and what people are talking about when they think about what they're going to put their plants in. And, um, you know, we quickly realized that the plant part of house plants is half of it uh, and house is the other part. So, um, you know, there's, there's some interesting trends there. And then also a need for more large houseplants. There is a, a huge interest in the large houseplants, you know, Monstera, Philly fig, and, uh, you know, we, we need more of that. Cool. And um, I think that, like like we mentioned before, some of those might be actually pretty uh, kind of a new thinking to a lot of us in the industry. I mean, I certainly wasn't expecting to see artificial lighting playing such a big role and such a, a large part of the conversation. Um, sure, we know that a lot of houseplants go into pots, but I think some of the, the information that you found is really interesting and also frankly, can be very profitable for garden centers, especially as well as growers looking to add add uh, incremental sales and add um, kind of cross-category sales. And then the, the large houseplant 
I guess is one of the findings that, that you wanted to talk about. I'm excited to dig into that a little bit. So let's let's look at lighting first, because you mentioned that people are a little bit confused in how they can supplement lighting when they're living in a, in a space that might only have one window. I, I'll admit that that's a challenge that I have in my own house. Um, how, you know, what, what are some of the, what's some of the information that you discovered uh, around that conversation and maybe some of the suggestions that you and the team have for uh, growers and garden centers that want to at least address that challenge? Yeah. So the, the, one of the questions that we asked uh, that we got responses to was, what's your biggest challenge when growing houseplants? And lighting and low light, artificial light, these were all terms that funneled into the largest category. And, you know, we look looking at the actual conversation, there's a lot of talk about, you know, I need plants that are either good for low light or a way to provide them light. And um, it was quite clear that people are interested in artificial light sources and they're willing to pay for them, but they are confused on what they need to do. There is a lot of talk about lights out there. And, you know, because of other movements in the industry, artificial lighting is, you know, making its way to the consumer level. But, you know, they want to know how to do it and how to do it correctly because lights, the good lights aren't cheap and the cheap lights aren't necessarily good. And so they're stuck somewhere in between. And that's where like a, a retailer or even growers can come in and say, hey, here's what our recommendation is per plant. So maybe, you know, walk in and say, hey, you need this. You want this plant. This is what the light, this is the light type you need, or this is, you know, if you have a window here, you're good, but you might need to supplement it with this. And we prefer this brand could make for some great partnerships as well. So I think that there's a way for retailers to add those add on sales uh, with lights, but uh, definitely people interested in that and solving that problem. And it's not only add on sales of the lights, it's just the, the exciting thing about it to me is that folks who responded to your questions and folks in the grow community want more plants. You know, it's yeah. not, they're not, they're not happy with one or two plants by the window. So they want to fill their living spaces up with plants. And, and it's actually good and kind of interesting that they understand the fact that they will need additional light. Because when you walk into a, a garden center, really of any size, you're going to find plants and they have that little tag on them. And it says, you know, low light, medium light, high light, it's kind of like vegetable gardening. No one ever knows what that means. Like, is it six or more hours? Is it all day? Is it all day and all night? Like, do plants need to sleep? I got to believe there's a lot of uh, discussion and confusion around that. So um, are there ways, do you feel that there are ways that retailers can help tell the, the correct light story? Like, what would a plant tag or sign look like that, that helped a consumer be a little bit more successful when it comes to to putting the plants in the correct light environment. I mean, you just break it down into a step-by-step -step basis. And it's like, okay, when we think about lighting, it's for an indoor plant, right? So you either have natural light or artificial light. And I think that it comes down to, hey, if your window faces this direction, it's gonna need to be in this windowsill for four to six hours. Um, or if it's an artificial light, you need this light with you know what and I don't, I'm not a lighting expert um, but you know this light with the, these specifications for this many hours a day and then you're good um, because we always like to say full sun part sun half sun semi sun what does that mean uh, it comes out to you know how long does it need to be in a given light and what kind of light does that mean so uh, you know as detailed as we can be but you know it doesn't have to be an encyclopedia entry either so just kind of you know how when you when someone says like if you were gonna bake a cake right and you know 
you're going to look at the recipe. It's not just going to say add some sugar. <laughs> right, well, and put it in oven. Full, full sugar. <laughs> no, I think that that's a really good point. And, and one of the things that I think a garden center can do is just make sure you have someone on staff who is fairly well-versed in in applying light to a plant so that they can be the go-to when someone walks in and says, now, how do I, you know, I want to buy all these, I want to buy this $500 worth of plants here, but how do I, how do I keep them all alive? And then you've got a person who's really, who's there and willing and ready to help them. I know $500 is probably optimistic, but you never know because we're going to talk about large house plants here in a little bit. And I know that, uh, you know, we're also going to discuss price points. So the, the next uh, finding that you mentioned was potting trends. And I believe this is going to go in a bunch of different directions because it's not just the pot that you sell the plant in, it's the pot that they're putting it in. And I love how you said that plants are half the battle, house house is the other half the battle. So, uh, you know, and, and a lot of this has to go to the, the decorator mentality that, that we're addressing here, I would imagine. Yeah. And it, well, the first thing that I, I find interesting just about our potting question in general was that we asked people like, you know, what kind of pots are you looking to put your plants in? And, uh, a weird answer is that a lot of like majority of people responded clay and terracotta, which I would I don't know that seems kind of it, it's old school in a way, but uh, it doesn't really surprise me. But then when we got into there were there was a lot of secondary dimensions there because people didn't just write clay and then they were done with it. Um, we noticed you know there by generation there's some really interesting trends as you skew to younger members. We saw that w- one of the most popular terms or I guess categories that they were mentioning was the pots need to be reusable and low waste. So something that I can continue to use and that is going to last me a long time, not because they were affordable or that, you know, it was a one-time purchase for many plants, but it's the idea of that they want to be environmentally conscious. They want something, a material that's environmentally conscious. They want something that they can reuse again so that they're not wasting anything. Um, and that, that's going to be a bigger issue for us as an industry going forward with some of these generations. And I think that that really stood out to me in this question. But then another trend that I saw that I didn't even know was a thing, um, but we had a ton of people say double pot. What is a, a double pot? I mean, to me, I'm like, okay, two pots. But it was a specific form or a specific thing that they were talking about is that they want they don't want to plant these plants directly into these decorative containers, but they want the ability to just take the grower pot, uh, maybe, you know, let's say eight inch, 12 inch Monstera and just drop it in into this deco pot so that it looks great, but then they can swap it out. So they called it this double pot method and that they, they routinely buy new pots or buy new plants and they switch them and mix them to get the right combination because their styles may change. And they don't want to get rid of their plants just because their style changes, but you know maybe they want to upgrade from, you know, farmhouse chic to industrial chic, and then they need a new pot, and they don't want to have to replant anything. But if they can just, you know, pick it up, put it back into a different pot, um, you know, there, there's something to that, and I think that there's something to that for retailers as well. Is that you know how do you show the same plant in eight different pots? And you know we like to have plants in one section and then pottery in another. But how do you showcase that? And you don't. And I think, you know, we often see is like, oh, I don't want to have to plant up a bunch of pots. Well, no, just set them in there. And then maybe it's something like, hey, if you buy the plant and, a, you know, you get a pot at 10 percent off. I don't know. You know, 
figure out where the margins make sense, but there could be a good two for one deal there. You know, you know, we were, one of the suggestions we put in there is that if somebody buys a plant from you and plants it in a pot that it's not supposed to be in, or, you know, it just isn't a good pot or uses bad soil, uh, you know, that's trouble for you as that plant seller. And so, you know, what if it's like an all in one guarantee, like you sell pots, soil plants, or just pot plant and say like, you know, Hey, here's a, you buy our plant, our pot, you get our guarantee. Um, and so I think that there's something to that as well. You know, the, the eco-friendly pot thing may, makes a lot of sense. It kind of reminds me of the straw challenge that we're in as a society right now where you, you can't use a straw or the, the kids with you are definitely going to scowl. That just happened to me at Buffalo Wild Wings a couple nights ago where my wife used a straw and got the death look from both my kids. Um, I did not use a straw. And so I was the better parent in that, in that moment. But, um, you know, the eco-friendly thing makes, we have, we have five reusable straws at home now. They're like rubber. I don't, I don't I'm not the biggest fan of them, but, uh, <laughs> I guess that I'm saving the planet. So, but, but that, that, I think that fits squarely with, with what you're talking about with the eco pot. It definitely doesn't, doesn't surprise me, but the whole, the whole double pot method, again, it's, you know, y'all frequently see people put the the kind of the grower pot that black plastic pot into a deco pot and maybe it's because folks you know have read enough articles or seen enough information online that warns them that they've got to have drainage i mean it's like the first thing your grandma tells you when you get a house plan is well just make sure it's not too wet because that'll kill the plant quicker than not watering it and i think that's probably been hammered into people's heads. And as soon as someone buys a houseplant for the first time and Googles it, that's probably going to be right there in, in the description of how to care for the plant. But I do agree with you that this opens up a huge market for decorative pottery. And it's not a new thing to see garden centers have a, a deco pot section. Like you said, it's usually you know not uh, adjacent to the houseplants, which can be a challenge. But I think we also need to remember that, that folks are decorators and they want to change their their space up you know many times throughout the year so it's not just selling them one deco pot like you said it's you know is there a is there a system to get them back in getting a pot each season or you know with the color trends you know there's got to be a, a bunch of different ways to promote your, your your decorative pottery so the third finding that you mentioned i think is probably to me one of the most interesting um, and one that I think is certainly something that that retailers and growers can capitalize on if they're willing to is large house plants. So they don't just want cheap, small house plants, which makes a lot of sense. And I would imagine that's probably people of any age, you know, as, as you get older, maybe your house gets bigger, you want a bigger plant. But as you, you know, get into your first apartment, you also need some larger stuff to fill that space. So can you why don't you dive into the, into that a little bit? Because I'm I'm interested in in where you feel that conversation was heading. Well, and I think too, there's there's something just to go keep going with that is that there's a there's a pride piece to that large plant. Like I was able to keep this thing alive. Like nobody really cares. You know, you walk into your buddy's house and he's like, yeah, I was able to keep this thing alive, and you're like, that is the size of a pinhead. Like, I don't think, like, is that thing actually alive or is it just preserved? It looks like that. I always wonder when I see air plants, I'm like, are those just like really dry or are they actually still alive? Um, but I think, you know, with that large house plant, it's like, whoa, like, man, this guy, he's got it going on. Um, but I think, you know, to large house plants, so, and to say that, that 
you know, the small house plants, there's still a definite interest there. Pothos is the number one plant on the app this year, uh, will be for the rest of the year, uh, you know, above and beyond. Last year was Echeveria. Um, but when we asked people, we said, what plant is at the top of your, uh, top of your wish list? And we took it and we broke it out by geography because I wanted to see if it was the same for all the areas of the country. And I can tell you that there aren't one or there aren't multiple different areas of different things, but Monstera is in, I think it's 40 of the states is the number one plant on the wish list. And so then I think in another three states, fiddly fig is the number one plant. So you're looking at the top two plants, you know, or the top plant in every state and those top two are relatively large house plants. Like these things are not your small like tabletop countertop uh, plants. And so I was like, okay, there's a definite interest in here. And it's either that they, they, their wish list is, you know, they want, this is something that they aspire to. They want to keep it alive or it's something that they're looking for. Um, so that's a piece of it. But then the other piece of it is we ask people, what plants do you grow or would you like to grow indoors that aren't indoor plants? And uh, resoundingly, the answer, especially for millennials, the top five answers were all fruit trees. So it went citrus, like general citrus, and then it went lemon, avocado, mango, and banana, all big plants. And so then I took a look at the trend and I said, okay, out of the top 20 plants that were answered, you know, what does that look like? And actually the, the vast majority of those top 20 plants were all you know, what we would consider trees and shrubs. And so all of the top 20 were either trees and shrubs or edibles. And some hit both of those categories as in the, the fruit trees. But it just goes to show that, you know, we even had a, a, more than a handful of answers of people that said weeping willow, right? <laughs> Talk about a huge plant. People are like, yeah, I want to put one in the corner of my house. And <laughs> that's where, you know, I'm thinking to myself, like people want something to show off like they want to put something big in their house or in their apartment to say hey listen like, i can keep this alive and uh you know that goes back to i think that you see monstera and fiddly fig at the top of those wish lists but when you look out at large house plants in general that's what people are that's that's what people assimilate with that because there aren't 60 varieties of large house plants out there you go you have fiddly fig monstera maybe a big philodendron or maybe a banana plant if somebody you know is getting really brave um but other than that you know there's a lot more variety at those smaller levels but people want those big plants and they want more variety there as well and i think uh that's what the combination of both of those questions i was like okay there's a there's a trend here of interest and uh how do we attack that as an industry you know from a breeding standpoint are there ways we can breed things like well, one of the things was lilacs people wanted a lilac bush in their house and i was like man that would that's gonna <laughs> it's gonna wear off after a day or two uh, but you know do we look at taking these shrubs and making them house plants is there something we can do there um, but then from a retailing standpoint is how do you you know emphasize that you have the largest selection of large house plants like you've got you know you've got more than just the monstera you've got more than the fiddly fig like you've got a whole range here and you can be totally different than all of your neighbors by coming and shopping here i like that and i had certainly never thought about the whole pride factor of keeping a big plant alive i think that there's probably something there and um yeah i i, I think that this large plant i mean i heard the large 
combination discussion being had, you know, 15 years ago of, well, we, you know, instead of just a, an eight inch color bowl, we need to have, you know, a, a, a giant combo planner because people have big front porches. And I think, you know, just inside that door is a big foyer. You need a big plant and a big foyer. So I, you know, I, I, it's funny to see um, the, the trends coming around and sort of what I used to consider an outdoor trend and one that we saw a lot of success with, with large combinations over the last decade is, is sort of gravitating, you know, gravitating toward the inside of the house. And, but the most exciting thing to me about that large combo trend, uh, you know, a decade or 15 years ago was the price point was that you could actually have a, a significant price point and that people were not you know, a- adverse to paying, you know, $100 for a big, you know, annual combo. And I would suspect that the same is going to be true for a large indoor plant. You know, the the price barrier comes down when you're really meeting meeting that need. So can we talk a little bit about pricing? Because from what I see in a lot of houseplant departments at garden centers of all shapes and sizes is that there's a lot of, you know, sort of inexpensive small pots available, um, but maybe, you know, in, in discussing this houseplant report from Grow It, maybe there, there's a need, like you said, for larger and that the current models might be leaving money on the table. Yeah, and I think that, that goes into we, the industry. We love to, to price by pot size, right? 12-inch uh, hanging basket, you know, $22.99. Four-and-a-half-inch uh, annual, four fifty nine. You know, what, whatever that may be. But when you think about that, and you go out and you buy shoes. Are <laughs> all size 12s the same? No. And uh, there, there's a lot that you know that goes into pricing models. But I, you know, doing this report, we start to pull out that anything that's variegated is extremely more valuable than anything that's not. So even like a pothos, right? So you have there are a couple different. Uh, variegated varieties that are really, really popular uh, mainstream is like Hawaiian, I think is one that's the yellow and green one. And then there's a marble queen, which is like a white and green. And even those are way more valuable to the consumer than your standard green pothos. So how do you, and, and I've seen it at a garden center, they're all priced the same, but how do you take that? And then, you know, what happens is you price them that way. And then all the green are left over at the end. But you know, what if you elevate those ones that people value more and say, Hey, this is, these are more exclusive. Like this is, this is, you know, this is where the price point is for these plants. Um, and some of that is happening, but some of that is, is leaving our industry behind. A lot of that's happening online. Uh, you look for variegated Monstera, uh, good luck finding one for under $165 online. Um, you know, but at this, you know, so how do you, how do we do that? Bring that, that's this online trend more into the, the garden center and explain like maybe, Hey, there are only like, we only brought in five of these plants and no, you know, most people in this area are getting their plants from here. So, you know, if you buy this, you're going to be one of five people, right? So it's not just, Oh, Hey, we're, this is a factory. We're turning them out. I actually saw an email from the sill today. Um, they're a, an online seller of house plants and I, I like to keep an eye on what they're doing, but they sent me an email. It was like last call on Calathea pinstripe. Like it's leaving forever. They said, and I, I mean, part of me as the industry was like, okay, yeah, right. Like this, this plant is disappearing. It's not going extinct, but you know, I'm sure that pe- consumers looked at it. I was like, okay, I have to get one now. Like this is going away and people aren't going to be it. And I want it so that anybody else that, you know, decides to get on this house plant trend in the future, is going to be missing out. 
And, uh, you know, the, the, that's where I think, you know, there are so many different industries out there that do pricing, you know, in a lot of different ways and better or worse. I don't know, but we should at least try it. Um, and that's where I, I think that, you know, our, our one size fits all or a price fits one size uh, is a little outdated. And let, let's let's try to do something else so that we can really make sure that, you know, we're not selling high value plants for cheap and we're not selling our cheap plants at a price that nobody wants to afford them. You hit on three really important things there. The the pricing by pot size is probably an outdated uh, model and certainly doesn't translate well to the houseplant side of the industry. Um, you mentioned, well, I guess what I characterize as creating exclusivity, which is very important and certainly being done in all sectors of retail and probably fits very well with this houseplant movement. And then just you know, you said you watch what the sales doing and you keep an eye on online pricing. I think that most people should be doing that. And it probably only takes a, you know, a little bit of Googling each week to, to poke around at the prices that are being uh, uh, gotten online for some of the more unique or, you know, even if it's not unique, it's just variegated. It's something that looks different. You know, maybe maybe when you when you place your house plan order, jump online and just Google those plants and see what they're selling for at online retailers before you slap that $8.99 price tag on them because $18.99 sounds a heck of a lot better than $8.99 to, I, I would think, to to a retailer when, when your uh, cost is, is the same. So uh, those are those are some really, really good points. So before we get, I, w- I do want to ask you any sort of some for some other findings that you want to throw out from the from the report that you find really interesting. But I did notice TPIE's reference throughout this whole entire report. How do they fit into this, so, this whole report? So to collect data like this, uh, you know, it takes us time, takes us money. And this is our way of, uh, you know, this this information is valuable and we know that and um, our original plan was to actually sell the report but uh, TPIE we were in talks with them and they saw that how valuable this is to uh, everyone in the industry and said you know what if what if we work out a deal and we underwrite the report and basically then we can pass this report out to anybody else for free and so uh, the report is underwritten by TPIE and therefore you know in combination with this report, there there's a ton of things that people can learn at TPIE. Um, if you're interested in, in houseplants, selling, producing, growing, you want to have things for houseplants, knickknacks, whatever. If it's about indoor plants, like you need to be at TPIE. And uh, and I think that you know it just worked out that luckily Seth and I have some you know good connections, and we were talking to the right people at the right time, and you know it all came together. And so yeah, so we're we're really thrilled that TPIE partnered with us on this, and uh, we are looking forward to seeing everybody there, uh, January twenty second to twenty fourth. Excellent. And I know that if you're a, a grower or retailer looking for um, wholesale suppliers of houseplants and indoor indoor plants that TPI is definitely a great show to attend. So if you've never been there, um, I can attest I've been there any number of times that you will find new unique suppliers um, who are uh, ready to kind of fill fill your benches with the cool stuff. So that's good. I just wanted to make sure that we uh, got a shout out to TPIE. And then throughout the, the houseplant report are different ways that you can capitalize on the report at the shows. So I thought that that was an interesting way to weave TPIE into the whole process. So what else? So you, we, we talked about kind of the, these big three findings that you had, the lighting, the potting trends, the large houseplants. 
Um, what are some other uh, interesting tidbits to pull out of the report? I don't want to give the whole thing away because people definitely need to jump online and download all 16 pages and read through it, go over it with your team. But what are some other uh, interesting findings you want to shout out from the, from the report? You know, to me, one that stands out to me is that uh, there are this is a trend where we're seeing interest at both sides of the spectrum, uh, meaning that there are a lot of folks that over the last few years and maybe a little longer, but I mean, some, most there are a lot of millennials there that have become houseplant experts and, and you know, they are out seeking specific species and cultivars and they want this exact uh, one, or they want, you know, the variegated monstera, but they want the leaves to be at least 50% variegated. Um, and so that's where, you know, you have those, those people are like at the one end of the spectrum. And then you got somebody that's like, Hey, I think it'd be really cool to own a plant that wouldn't <laughs> die over the weekend. Um, and so, you know, getting both of those people to give us some feedback was really cool. Um, but I think it emphasizes that, and that's where it, I look at trends and I think sticky. How do you keep something sticky? Because fads are trends that didn't work. And um, that's kind of the stickiness factor for houseplants, right? Like this this isn't going anywhere in the next couple of years. Like sure, 50 years out, I don't know. We've seen houseplants be popular before, but uh, they, there's a, a sticky factor here that it's not just one generation or another or one level of experience versus another. It's kind of everybody there. They're looking out and saying like, plants are really cool and I can grow them inside. And that is a definite bonus for me if I don't have a huge yard and the cost to entry is low, right? It's kind of hard to go out and plant a garden in your backyard for 20 bucks, but you can buy a pothos for, you know, 10 bucks and put it on your countertop and see if you can keep it alive. So, you know, it just kind of speaks as a, as a good entry point for people. And it's also a place where people don't want to exit because they can just fill up their houses with these specimen plants. And uh, I don't know, that that is really, it's intriguing to me. I like that. And, and, and that is one of the benefits of Grow It is that you do get a, a huge range of participation um, all the way from the, from the experts down to the first timers. So um, that's great. And I think that that, probably will feed into a lot of the other um, reports that I would imagine we're going to see from you guys in the future. So, but sticking with houseplants, I got one more question specific to houseplants is, I know last time we talked, you mentioned predictive analytics, and that was really an exciting um, path of, of questions that we explored last time. So have you used any of any of that data or, you know, maybe even just your own interpretation of what you're seeing now to answer what I'm sure a lot of people have as a question is what's next for this houseplant trend or houseplant movement? What do you, what's, what's next on the horizon? Do you think? Yeah, I think some of that bill goes back to that, that large houseplant trend. I think we're due. So right now, Monstera is what everybody's seeking for and variegated in particular. Um, and you know, they're demanding a, the people that are selling that are demanding a high price as they should be. There aren't that many out there cause it takes a while to ramp up production. But I think that we are due for another big plant to come out. Um, so, you know, whether something is, I'll say rediscovered. So something that was popular, you know, in the seventies that gets ramped up in production somewhere, somebody gets a hold of it, that's going to happen. And it's going to be a large plant. Uh, people really, really want, something large and it, you know it could also be something like an alocasia i'm thinking about the one i have in my house is huge uh and it's thriving um 
but then so that that big plant i think we're going to see a shift from monstera just because people are that supply is going to go up so the demand is going to flatten out a little bit but we'll see something else take its place uh as people are constantly wanting the new thing here um and then I think we're going to see an increase in the collector mentality. So people looking at the, some of these smaller plants, but how do I get every variety of peperomia or how do I get, you know, 15 varieties of pathos? And I, I, I always joke that I feel like my childhood was defined by collections. <laughs> and so, you know, as us millennials get older, we just kind of shifted our collections into different spots and, uh, you know, I think mine was like Pokemon cards as a kid and then into like CDs. But now, you know, I, I could definitely see people being like, I need one of each of these plants in this specific realm. And maybe they focus on like something like a pathos peperomia or an anthurium and they just want one of everything. Um, so I, I definitely see that that happening in the next year because we and it's already store, sort of coming um, into fruition when you look at cacti. People want they don't want all the same cacti, but they want maybe all of the same in a slightly variated, you know, like whether it's a, a genus that they want, or maybe it's a species and they want all the cultivars. Uh, we see, a, you know, that is an increasing uh, kind of occurrence on grow it. We see some cactus collectors. I like that. And, and with that sort of collector mentality, you can sort of create um, groups around that. So for your store, um, even using social media or in-store meetups, um, there, there's probably different ways you can leverage those those groups um, and and be the go-to place that has the, the the plants that they want, but also is facilitating that discussion and community. I I, I really I can see that happening. I, I I totally get that. So moving a little bit beyond house plants um as we as we wrap up here today what can listeners expect from grow it in the next i would say year but even even sooner since we're or since we're approaching spring so from i guess from the perspective of the social gardening app um what 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 what's new what's gonna what's gonna be coming here in you know pretty short term and then I guess from the rest of the online community, you mentioned earlier using uh, a lot of the data that you're collecting to, you know, solve industry challenges and bring a lot of information to folks in the industry. But what, you know, what can we expect from the app and then from the rest of the community in the next, I don't know, I'd say year or less? Yeah. So we're really excited. We, in the next year or less, we're going to hit a million registered community members. That's going to be huge for us. I think that, um, you know, you can say it's just a number, but at the same time to say that we have a million consumers interested in plants that use the platform to communicate with each other. And it's not just a one-time use, right? They're not coming here to necessarily just get a plant identified or to, you know, just do something or look up information. It's, it's a community and they're really connecting with other people. And uh, that's one of the things we pride ourselves on. And so from the app side, we are giving people more abilities to connect with others. I can tell you that some of the, the features that we're working on, you know, are uh, how do we help people categorize themselves? So, you know, maybe you're interested in daylilies or peonies. Well, how do you talk to, like, how do you get into maybe, and I don't know if it will, you know, it could be groups, could be something else, but you know, how do we, keep that conversation going and have it focused on a topic. 
so there's going to be stuff that involves that. Also, you know, there'll be other ways to share content, um, you know, besides photos and text, hopefully in the, in the near future. So it, it should be pretty exciting from that side of things. Um, honestly, I, I can tell you as, as the head of the community, um, I'm really excited because I think this year will be our, our biggest sort of kind of foray into that community development uh, space that, you know, we've been focused on some of our business aspects in the last couple of years, but this year is really all about the community and then, you know, har harnessing those conversations. And I think from the, the business angle, get ready because we're about to be unleashing information onto the industry. And uh, it's exciting. You know, we realize that this house plant trend is just the tip of the iceberg, right? Like if we can do this, we can do this for anything. And that's why, you know, I encourage if there are businesses listening to this and want information on consumers and want to know what they're doing with plants, like we've got you covered, but like, let's have a conversation because some of it's what we already have, but we also have this network of people that we can tap into at any time of the day or night and figure out, you know, what are they buying? What are they doing? What, what are they interested in? Um, so it's, it's really, really powerful. And uh, I'm excited to be you know involved with that. And uh, it's going to be a great 20, end of 2019 is going to be awesome. 2020 is looking awesome as well. A million registered members. That is legit. I'm, I'm really excited. I know you say it's, it, you know, some people might think it's just a number, but that is a legitimately big number and a tremendous community. And with that, like you said, comes the ability to help people connect and new ways to share, which is exciting as well. And, uh, you know, I, I loved having this conversation, diving into houseplants and the more information that, that you guys can bring to the industry, um, you know, especially thanks to TPIE for helping open this up to everybody, because, you know, it would have been it would have been good information and certainly valuable for people to pay for one by one. But um, having access to it as, as a wide ranging industry report, I think, is really, really exciting. So what's. I guess I'm going to put you on the spot here. What's your call to action for the industry? How can growers, you know, our, our audience here on STEM is primarily growers, retailers, landscapers, it's horticulture professionals. How can they engage and leverage what Grow It's doing to benefit their business? Email me, mday uh, at growitmobile.com. And, but, but the email is pointed. I want to know the one question you want answered from consumers. What do you wish, if you could get, you know, a thousand consumers in a room and ask them a question, what would you want answered? And I think that there's a couple things here. If you don't have one at the top of your mind, I'm a little skeptical. You know, I feel like everybody has that one question they want answered and you might have more than one and that's, that's, that's okay. But I think if you're like sitting there like, I don't know if I'd ask consumers anything, then I'd, I'd question like, what are you really looking to grow your business? And so I think that that question, even if it's, even if you never send me an email, if it's hypothetical or, you know, it should be a good exercise to be like, wow, I should think more about the consumer because guess what? You know, we can say that plants are different all we want, but at the end of the day, it's a consumer packaged good. It just happens to be alive. And all of our plants, all of them end up either being bought directly by a consumer or enjoyed directly by a consumer. Um, and we forget that as an industry. And it, you know, I, I think I, that's my, maybe my life mantra. So I always bring back like, Hey, these are going to a, you know, a Joe and a Sally down the street somewhere, sometime. Like we have to think of that. I love it. And 
you know, you've given us a lot of time today. You just gave us tremendous value by saying if you email mday at growitmobile.com and ask what you want to, you know, what is that thing you want to know from consumers? You're going to learn a lot from the team. And I guess, um, I guess maybe the, the one way that, that we can repay you is to send people to grow it mobile. So what's the, what's the best way for someone to, uh, to access you guys if they want to learn more? So I think there's two ways here. Uh, well, obviously my email, you know, contact me directly. That'll get through to me. The other way, go check out the houseplant report, growupmobile.com slash houseplant report. It's pretty easy there. And then uh, Seth and I will actually be, we're hitting the road uh, in January. So, and a big piece of this is that we're going to be at TPIE and uh, we have a, we'll have a booth there. Come talk to us. Come ask me all your questions you want about the report. Uh, I'm also doing a panel session with a couple other great folks, uh, Ellen Wells and Katie Dubow. Uh, and so it's going to be like, I feel like, you know, it's a great time to connect and, you know, we'll also be at Mance. So there, there is an, a bunch of opportunities, but visit the website, come find us. Uh, shoot me an email. We're, we're pretty easily found. I, I would say, you know, we have those bright pink shirts. We're not trying to hide from anybody. Excellent. And I'll put all those links in the show notes um, and some of the specific links into information on Grow It that, uh, you know, so, so that you can easily navigate their site. It's a great website. There's tons of good information. Jump into the community section and learn all sorts of, of uh, fantastic, timely and relevant information. So, Mason, thank you to you and the Grow It team for all that you guys do to bring data to the industry and for being true advocates of horticulture. I think you you make the data relevant and actionable, and I truly appreciate our time today. Thanks so much for listening to STEM, insider tips for greenhouse pros, and special thanks for helping us surpass 14,500 downloads. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a minute to recommend it to your peers and coworkers. You can subscribe on any podcast player, including iTunes, Google, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and more. We really appreciate the support. I'm Bill Calkins. You can always reach me by email at bcalkins at ballhort.com, B-C-A-L-K-I-N-S at B-A-L-L-H-O-R-T.com. And be sure to follow Ball Seed on LinkedIn for tons of B2B content posted daily related to STEM topics, timely technical tips, and more. Let's end this episode with a quote about data from Carly Fiorina, former executive president and chair of Hewlett Packard Company. The goal is to turn data into information and information into insights.